Good morning, good morning, good morning. What a beautiful day in the neighborhood. My name is Corey Schleep, and I'm the executive director of Christ First Counseling Center here in the community. It's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning to share just a little bit about who we are, Uh, But more than that, this morning is a jumping off point of the partnership between Fellowship Highcrest and Christ First Counseling Center. Many of you have heard the great stories of the launch program this summer that we took part in, which was phenomenal. I see some wonderful faces that did some amazing things this summer with a lot of kids, around 150 different kids was it? that uh, were touched with emotional resiliency and trauma care. And uh, we'll continue to grow this partnership as we enter 2019. In 2019, we're going to be spending a couple days a week here at Fellowship Highcrest. We'll have a couple of therapists, uh, really great folks that will be here offering services. And that will start up in January. We're so excited. Access is huge. Access is huge. Beyond access is something that we're going to talk a little bit about today. But it's amazing that a guy that, when I was around eight years old, he told me that I needed to be saved. And I went, from what? (laughs) Right? I mean, I was a little punk kid then and probably still a little punk kid now. But that idea that we have to recognize that each and every last one of us need to be rescued and to understand what that looks like and what that means. I can't tell you how frequently I hear people talk about being rescued from a life of chaos, from hurt, from just massive tragedy. And then something starts to change that's fascinating to me. It's a phenomenon that seems to happen more on Sunday mornings than any other day of the week. This phenomenon is, we think, We have been rescued, we have been saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and therefore, everything's okay. Everything's good, so let's attach this nice, pretty mask on our face to say, we got it all together. We got it all together. God reminds me frequently that I don't have it all together. And that's just okay. It doesn't mean that we're not on a journey in the sanctification process. Because the sanctification process does not say that we are and have become pure. It doesn't say that we are now all okay. That we are without spot or blemish. Because see, when we are rescued... 
we have a whole new operating system to take on a life that we have brought to that very moment. Amen? And in that new operating system begins a process of sanctification that says to us that now we have to journey with that new operating system to not just to grow forward, but to go back and to heal that which is within us. It doesn't say that it would be good. It actually demands it of us. Because all of us bring this luggage forward in huge compartments that impacts the way that we're able to carry out Christ to the people and relationships around us. Amen? And so today I want to talk just a little bit about how to live out really a healthy emotional and spiritual self. This is a new thing for me, so please bear with me. Um, Maybe? Awesome. Works. Um, I've only got several pages here, so I hope you packed a lunch. Um, When we think about worldviews, there's three major worldviews. There's the medical. The medical worldview, in most simplistic form possible, says that if there is sin, if there is problems, if there is anything that is going on in your world that is not optimally healthy, there is a medical root that can be attacked and dealt with. That's at its root a medical worldview. There's a psychological worldview. That says if we understand that we have problems, and if we can understand the root of those problems, then we ourselves can then address them because the problem can be solved within us. That we have the answers within us that we can work through. And then there's the spiritual. The spiritual or the biblical worldview says that all of our answers lie in Christ. And if we seek him with all of our being, that we will become whole and healthy. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God has redeemed all three of those major worldviews. And at Christ First Counseling Center, we try to meld together great theological understanding of who God is in our day-to-day walks and the theoretical of how we can bring those other worldviews to address real-world issues. Because, see, when we bring a worldview of the medical only, we miss out on the other two and the benefits that they bring. When we bring the psychological, same thing. And this may be a shock to you, But when we bring a biblical worldview only without an understanding of the other two, that too limits our ability to live out health spiritually and emotionally. Some of you are going to take that home and you're going to ponder that and go, is that guy crazy or is that truth? Right? And I want you to. I want you to take it home and dive in deep to say, if we are just simply bringing a biblical worldview and not the others, are we restricting our ability 
to deal with real world issues. So to define spirituality this morning, um, our, it's our active participation in life of God in us, in his world. Spirituality is local and it's within each of us. It's not an elitist. It's not for the super spiritual. For we are all spiritual in one form or another. We are all created spiritual beings, embodied spirits. The life in us as human beings is spirit life, which is different from animal life, vegetable life, all of that, in a different kind and in a different nature. The Christian spirituality is when we are empowered by Christ within us to find, really, we get to look at that we are graced by the Holy Spirit. That it allows us to do what we can't do under our own strength. Amen? And I love this. That's awesome. If I get stuck here in a little bit, I'm going to call them up and they can come help. Spirituality demands of each of us a healthy mental and a healthy emotion. It Really, it's just as emotional well-being as mental well-being demands a healthy spirituality. We can't have one without the other. I love the quote that says, you can't be emotionally immature and call yourself spiritually mature. We walk around and say we're spiritually mature and somehow start to degrade the value of what emotional maturity brings to life. And so when we think of ourselves as spiritually mature, I hope that we take that away and say we cannot be spiritually mature if we are emotionally immature. When we think of of Christ in the midst of this, Jesus sees our, our mental, he sees really all of, of us, socially, emotionally, sees all of that. And he sees it in unity. He doesn't separate that out. You can't be lacking socially and have junk relationships and go, Spiritually, I'm on fire over here, and I'm a rock star. Right? We can't have an emotional immaturity over here and say that we're a spiritual giant leading the folks around us. Because what happens, like what many pastors have said, I think Matt Chandler said it the best, he said, I grew up in a church where it said, If you are in Christ, you are enough. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. And so the junk that was happening in my mind and in my life, I spent a lot of energy trying to conceal. Because nobody around me had any problems. Nobody around me had any brokenness. And because of that, I hid an inside world from the people around me. When we hide that inside world from those around us, they're going to hide their world from us. Broken people, as we all are, 
are not going to be attracted to somebody who thinks they're perfect and has it all together. It's not going to happen. We are all broken in need of the Savior every day. It's like the boundaries of my own ignorance keep expanding every year that I make this journey. And the day that I stop saying that and believing that is the day I hope the Father takes me home. Because we have to continue that pursuit of growth. When we have healthy relationship with God, we express our emotions in a healthy way. It's amazing when I talk with people about their emotions, as I do a lot of pastor and church health around the region. And one pastor said it very well. He said, you know, if people would just get their emotions under control, I could teach them some stuff. Right? I can't make that up. Right? There may be some of you sitting right here today that believe that very same thing. That if people would just get their emotions in check, I could teach them some stuff. And so the presence of a healthy relationship with God is not the absence of emotions. We have to learn to clearly identify what those emotions are and where they're coming from. We have to understand those roots within us. And take those to the Father and invite the Father in the midst of those emotions. And that's a lifelong pursuit, is it not? Lifelong pursuit. Just a couple of things here as Christ was such an example for us. If we look, I have those a little out of order, so this is on me, not on them. When we look at Mark... 135. And I'm going to be going through just a few examples here. When he talks in Mark that in the early morning, Jesus is setting up an example to say, What am I doing as the one who came perfect? What am I doing every day to continue to grow in my obedience to the Father? And so he said in one Mark 135. Early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped away in silence and solitude. That is to be quiet and alone with the Father as his companion. Now, people talk about getting alone with God. How many of you, don't raise your hands, um, just think about this, that when you think that you're going to wake up and have time with God, it means that you need to get through a chapter in your devotion, that you just need to learn what that scripture says for that day. I hear frequently people talk about their time with God as an intellectual pursuit only. An intellectual pursuit only, that they are not inviting God into the midst of that time of silence and solitude they're inviting their intellectual being into the scriptures to study what it says. Not, what is he saying to me? What is he saying to me? Where am I in the midst of this story? The first of the morning is not great for me, right? 
I love early mornings. I wake up every morning at 5.23 for some odd reason. 5.23 is the time. And I hit the ground. And early in my marriage, this was... uh, Sorry, I'm just going to tell a quick story. Early in my marriage was a little detrimental. Have you ever seen the cartoon of the cactus in the morning glory? Yeah, it's phenomenal. So... My wife's more of a cactus in the morning. I'm more of a morning glory. I wake up and I'm singing. I'm like, welcome day. Let's go get this. That's me in the morning, full on charge. I hit the ground and I don't want to slow down in the morning. After a couple shoes took flight, I started learning that if I'm going to sing, that I probably ought to do it from a safe distance. And my mindset is that I have a hard time slowing down in the morning. I want to go and I want to get it done. My time comes at night. I hope that you don't think less of me because of that. Right? He doesn't do his hour in the morning a Bible study. No, I do my time at night. Because I want, when I go to sleep, I want to know what he has for me from that day. And I want to know what he is asking of me for that next day. I want the first thing that I wake up and hit the ground running to be him. And for me, that's what it takes. Maybe some of you can wake up and have that quiet beginning into your day. That's not my wiring. Find a way to get that, whether it's the beginning of the day or the end of the day. Welcome him into that. Ask him into that time to lead you, to guide you to see where he is in the midst of that story in your life. Jesus gave priority to solitude and being present with the Father away from people and noise in order to focus himself to be present with his Father. He gave precedent to being alone with him, away from the noise. It is hard for us to get away from noise, amen? It is crazy that we have our phones on us 24-7. We have instant access to information anywhere we go, and people can contact us almost anywhere we go. I was teaching a, a class one time as a guest lecturer, and I asked the seminary students, because I was going to be there two weeks, and I asked them, as just a... Side product, it wasn't a part of my lecture at all, but I asked him, I said, I want you to spend 10 minutes sometime between this lecture and the next lecture simply being quiet in front of God. 10 minutes. Not while you're driving, not while you're walking, not while you're sleeping. 10 minutes of silence, not on your phone or any other electronics, no music, nothing else, just in silence. And of those 25, 26 students, how many of those do you think actually tried it that week? Two. Two. Those are our future spiritual leaders, by the way. Two tried it, and I asked them why. And one student, she was phenomenal. She just said, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary because when I'm in the midst of those scriptures and I am thinking about what he is trying to say to me, sometimes it brings up stuff. And sometimes it's stuff I don't want to hear. 
Amen? How many of you have ever been there? Right? I know I have, going, I don't want to hear some of the things that he has to say to me. And I think that it gets echoed through most people's experience of trying to be in silence. What is it that I don't want to hear from God speaking to me today? Because he got away from all the noise, he could more clearly hear what God was speaking directly to him. In Mark 1.12, he says, The Spirit needed time with Jesus in the wilderness in a time of preparation for ministry. When we think about what God is cultivating within each of us, that Holy Spirit takes time within us to marinate, to marinate, to grow us, to show us the things that we have not yet been able to see in ourselves, that he is wanting to bring in about a change for his glory. But that can take time. Mark 1.45, we see Jesus withdrawing from the hustle and bustle of life, serving others to reconnect with himself and the Father. Mark 5.15 and 16, Mark tells us specifically that Jesus often withdrew, withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. How many of us make that a general practice to pull away from people rather than to encircling ourselves with noise so we don't have to hear? When in Mark 3, he talks, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over. I'm putting that up there for a reason. That when we draw away from the demands of the world around us, the noise, just the pressure, God does a work in us to prepare us for what he is calling us to. People came from all around because he was prepared to bring the Father into the midst of that, to really reach those people uniquely in that moment. We have to be prepared for what he is calling us for daily so that we don't miss his movement in our life and those that he brings into interaction with us. The lesson here is this, that Jesus learned that in order to maintain a healthy emotional and mental and spiritual state and posture before the Father, he needed to learn to live an unhurried life. This is hard for me. Because I think I know what God has for me today. And when I think something, I move on it. Right? And I wish that there was sometimes more time in between that, but, you know, when we think this is what God's calling us to, we try to charge into battle thinking we're ready and we're prepared and that we've got a plan for what's going to happen next. And when we think that we know exactly what God has for us next and we're charging so fast and hurried, we can miss Him in the process. We can miss him in the process. And when we miss him in the process, we're dependent upon our strength and our abilities to fulfill what we think we're called to by him. Does that make sense? Just look at Elijah when he thought, hey, 
I am going to take on 750-some gods. He's going to whoop some tail, right? I mean, this dude is calling out saying, listen, bring all of your folks. We're going to have a big gathering, and my God's going to kick some tail. And in his mind, after he was able to do that, and God rained down and really showed up huge, the king ran back to the capital city to Jezebel. Well, what's interesting is that Elijah had a plan in his mind for what he was being called to. So he, with the hand of God upon him, cruised to the capital city because he thought there was going to be a, some sort of a ticket tape parade for him, like he had just done a big thing, right? And in the midst of that, he was thinking that since I did this great big thing for God, I'm going to win back this city and this country for God. I did this. This is awesome. There's going to be people in the streets clamoring for God's return. And obviously there was. There was huge ticket tape parades, confetti everywhere. No. Crickets. There was nothing, right? So he wanders into the city until he comes across a messenger from Jezebel. And the messenger from Jezebel said, by this time tomorrow you will be dead, right? That's awesome, right? My plan, God's strength, this is what I think. This is going to lead to this. And when that didn't work, there's two things that typically happen within us. There's either something wrong with us or there's something wrong with God. And there wasn't something wrong with him in the way that he went about it. There wasn't something wrong with God. His plan failed him. And he needed to encounter God, so he hauled off into the desert, fired his ministry staff along the way, and he goes back to have an encounter with God. What's amazing is that when our plans don't work out, we can question what's wrong with us, what's wrong with God. And if we try to do that in a hurry, we're going to miss him passing by the cleft in the rock. And when we do that, we miss what he's going to use us for next. In an unhurried life, we're able to see him pass by we're able to absorb him through everything that we do, through our prayer time that's continual, through our Bible study and learning, through other people that he puts in our path. Because see, a hurried life is really a blight on every one of us every day within the church. Because we can get in our minds that we're doing great things for God. And I've got to hurry to get done as much as I can for God. And we're so busy doing things for God that we miss out being with God. So we have to learn to stop and unhurry our lives. And Jesus really showed us a lot about how he had to do that continually to stop it, to get away from the noise, to draw close. Some very simple things that we can do. Sit in silence. 
when you start your prayer time, be in silence. Invite him to be in charge of your time with him. Not the other way around. Invite him to be in charge of that time. Simple things, such as driving sometimes in silence. I know I've got a four and a half year old. That's hard. Not a whole lot of silence with a four and a half year old in a car. But try to drive in silence when that's available. Make room for doing those things in your life, whether it's driving slower at times, being silent in your car. For a couple meals a week, try to eat in silence. Just to be contemplative of what he's doing in and through you. What will you do individually? What will you do as a family to unhurry your life this week? When we think about unhurrying our lives, we have to tell ourselves that he does have dominion over all three of those worldviews. That he is interested in our emotional life and he has a plan for our emotional life. If we don't, we'll just hurry through it and go, we have to learn. And so if we learn, we're going to be good. If we learn without the emotional process and guidance from the Holy Spirit, we will end up lacking. We will end up lacking. The last thing that Jesus did to maintain a healthy spirituality was really the life of prayer. That sounds very pedestrian and it sounds like, well, duh. But he didn't just make prayer an event. He didn't make prayer an activity that he just did to check a box, to bless a meal. He made it a way of life. During that time, there are prayers that were happening daily with the the Jewish people of that day. Three times a day, the Jews prayed this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. They did that three times a day. Some of us are thicker headed than others. We need to hear it frequently that we're not the God of our own universe. Right? And when we think about mental health, we think about aligning our minds with His. When we think about emotional health, we think of talking about identifying and processing through the emotions that we have in light of his scripture within the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I know we're out of time, um, but just quickly. Living an unhurried life will care for your soul more than anything else. And even in this time of being out of time for this message, I know we all got lives and some of you already have lunch plans. I get all of that. But I tell you what, there is scientifically proven information that says when we live in a hurried life, the amount of stress hormones that we're kicking into our brain, it's unbelievable. We have some 200 different stress hormones that God designed for us to really 
encounter the world around us and meet the demands of the world around us. When we live a hurried life, it's like we're dumping stress hormones in constantly like a dripping faucet, never slowing down. And that has huge repercussions for your health, huge repercussions for your health. You know, the most people that are affected by that, a study out of Duke said, pastors, Christian leaders, going, we are not slowing down, we are pushing forward because we are celebrating accomplishment rather than being with God. We're hurrying to do for rather than hurrying to be with. Slowing down our lives helps our health. Learn the scriptures, know them, hide them in your heart, rereading and rereading the gospels continuously. Find you in the midst of those stories. Last, stop often. Each day, render praise and thanksgiving to God. One of the ways that we can do this is beginning to pray and ask God to direct our time with him. Ask him to reveal himself to us. And really, hour by hour, inviting him in to just be on the journey with you and close to you. I have a challenge for you, but I want to wait until that very last part. My hope is that when we walk out of here today, that we don't do it in a hurried fashion but we see life in balance with him. With him in balance. In our spiritual and emotional selves, growing in maturity in both areas. Let me pray for us here. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for today. Father, thank you for just being here with us. Father, for speaking into our hearts and minds through this. And as we really recommit ourselves to growing, Father, in you emotionally and being directed by you, Father, we ask for your wisdom to do this well. Help us to do it in excellence, Father. Father, thank you for providing everything that we need to be successful for what you called us for. Father, thank you. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.